How can we, as creative educators and entrepreneurs, find our authentic voice, get real in a world where real is hard to come by, and share our vision all while making some serious money and keeping it all balanced? Hey, hey, it's Alyssa with the Teacher Hustle Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for taking a chance on me. I'm a fifth grade teacher, toddler mom, and serial entrepreneur. I'm answering all your burning questions and bringing you simple business tips, mindset shifts, and inspiration to help you turn your passion into an income that makes an impact without being overly complicated. You know that one thing you can't stop talking about? We are going to share it with the world. So grab a cup of coffee and let's bring your wildest ideas to life. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I talked about big marketing gurus or BMGs and how the BMGs are constantly giving us advice and making us feel like we're not doing enough and that there's always more we could be doing. One thing I really love doing is breaking down marketing strategy to make it make sense for teachers and to make it make sense for people who just want to keep things simple, but still want to be innovative and different because I really love being different, being a little surprising sometimes. So I asked my Instagram audience, what were some things that they've heard lately from the BMGs? the big marketing gurus that they should be doing. And then what I was going to do is tell you my opinion or my thought on that piece of advice. Because there's all sorts of advice floating out around there about what we should be doing to grow our businesses. And I always have a strong opinion about each piece of advice. So you all had some great um, advice that you had heard lately. I will go through and read each one, and then I'll give you my honest opinion on that advice and whether I would suggest you follow it or not. The first piece of advice someone said that a big marketing guru had mentioned is that they should do a membership. And that's a really blanket statement. Not everyone should create a membership offer. Obviously, I love my own membership offer, but... I think if you're going to have a membership, uh, if you're going to offer a membership, you have to be the type of person who really loves to create and facilitate community. You have to be someone who wants to be in the trenches with your people and coaching them because a membership isn't a subscription. Those are two very different things. Netflix is a subscription. You order Netflix, you go on Netflix and get your shows and you get your movies. There's no interaction. There's nobody walking you through anything. It's just a monthly payment for a service. And then if you cancel your subscription, you no longer have the service. A membership is really like being part of a club. There are lots of different things usually for you to choose from as far as content goes, might be some trainings, there might be some live trainings, there might be co-working opportunities like we have in Teacher Hustle University. It's kind of like a giant buffet of learning and interaction, and you get to choose which pieces of the buffet you want to try. And as a membership site owner, that means that you have to be willing to kind of have that buffet of different ways that people can be supported inside your membership. A membership is more like, I would say, a gym membership, right? When you go, when you have a gym membership, there's lots of different types of 
workouts you can choose from. You can work out on your own. You can work out with an app. You can work out with a group. You can work out with a personal trainer. There are all different types of workouts that you can take advantage of as part of your membership. And sometimes, like if you belong to uh, something like Planet Fitness, they also have things like tanning. They have a locker room you can use. And they have different things you can take advantage of within your membership. And so as a membership site owner, that means more effort on your part to make this really a special place for people. And if you're not in it for that reason, if you're not in it because you believe it could be a really special place, if you're only in it because you're thinking, oh, it would be really cool to get paid each month, then you'd be in it for the wrong reasons and you're going to end up hating it. And it's probably going to flop because people are going to pick up on the fact that you're not that into it. So a membership is definitely not for everyone. And I think a lot of TPT sellers mistake a subscription for a membership. I've heard a lot of TPT sellers say they want a membership, but what they're really talking about is wanting a subscription where people can pay one price each month to get access to their digital products. And that's very different from a membership, which would include some sort of coaching or interaction community like a club of people interested in your digital products. It might also include access to those digital products, but it's more like a club. That's my advice on memberships. And no, I don't think that they are for everybody. Um, But they they can be a really great thing. That was one piece of advice from the big marketing gurus that you all had. Okay, the next piece of advice someone dropped that they said uh, was the latest and greatest advice was that... On Instagram, saves are more important than likes. So there's a graphic floating around and it says something like saves, number one, bookmark, or I'm sorry, bookmark is a save. Save, number one, share, number two, like, comment, three and four. And the claim is that Instagram, the Instagram algorithm has a preference. If people save your post, that's the best thing. If people um, share your post, that's the second best thing. If people like it, it's third best, whatever. I'm not really sure what the graphic says. But I disagree with that advice that saves are more important. I don't think anybody knows how the Instagram algorithm works. And I know for a fact that Instagram has not come out and said that this that saves are the most important call to action for your Instagram posts, that they get um, better attention in the algorithm if there are more saves. That's just simply not something Instagram has come out and said. Whether you experiment with it and you find that yourself, that's one thing. But I think that that graphic can be misleading. It can sound like that's something Instagram has said. And at the time of this recording, as far as I know, if you have something else, DM me, let me know. But they have not come out and said that saves are the most important metric to be looking at. Um, I do think it's important that with your call to action, and I did an episode on this a couple weeks ago, that you experiment with different things. Have at the end of your post or the beginning of your post, um, say something like save this, bookmark this, or share this, or double tap, or leave a comment and see which one is most popular with your people. Switch them up, try out different actions and see what happens. But Don't trust a graphic that you see floating around Instagram. No one truly understands the Instagram algorithm. The very best thing you can do is to just experiment and see what your audience likes the best. 
even if the Instagram algorithm did have a preference with those different call to actions, um, your audience would still play such a huge part in that, that it wouldn't make much of a difference. That's my advice on that one. The next BMG piece of advice someone got was that they should be doing story pins. I actually agree with that one. I think story pins are an interesting addition to Pinterest strategy. So story pins are, um, it's a new feature on Pinterest. And I don't think that everybody needs to run out and add it to your Pinterest strategy, but I definitely think Pinterest has done something interesting there. And here's my theory on story pins. If you're in the Teacher Hustle You crew, you've already heard me say this because I've been talking to you about it over the past couple of weeks as, as I've been observing story pins. But Pinterest started out as a, um, when, it, when it very first came out, right? It's always been a search engine. It's a visual search engine. It's really not social media, though it does have some social components like comments, Whereas if you are doing a Google search, which is another search engine, you're not going to find comments on those searches. You can find comments on blog posts, but there's not like a comments spot on the search. So in some ways, Pinterest sort of mixes in the social elements to their platform, which is interesting, but it's never really taken off. So comments have never really been a huge thing on Pinterest. We're not going around commenting. We're typically going on and saving pins that we want to look at again and again, or that we want to revisit the blog post attached or whatever. And when Pinterest first came out, we used Pinterest very differently as users than we do now. As users, we were doing a lot of following. When we found somebody who pinned content that we really liked, we would follow them, follow their boards. Whereas I think that Pinterest has evolved maybe because it's so busy, there's so much to look at, or maybe because we are so busy as users, as content consumers, we're so busy, things are crazy, everything's starting to blend and look the same. It's like you get the same chicken recipe every time you go on Pinterest. What we've started doing is one-off pinning. So rather than following people and following boards or sharing a pin with a friend, we're just doing a one-off pin, like just saving it one pin to our board and then moving on. Pinterest is trying to give us as the content creators more of an opportunity to develop a relationship with the person pinning our content. So what Pinterest is doing with story pins is giving us an opportunity to connect with people the same way we do on Instagram stories or what I actually think that Pinterest stories mimic a little bit more are the Instagram guides I don't know if you've seen them. It's a new feature on Instagram. It's basically a curation. So you can curate like four or five of your favorite Instagram posts about, let's say, email marketing. So I make a little a little guide on my top four posts about email marketing. It's a way for me to pull together my Instagram content in an organized way. It really hasn't picked up too much, but I still like it because I really like the organization piece. Story pins work in much the same way. They don't expire like Instagram stories. They do look like Instagram stories, but they're a way for you to curate some of your best ideas into one, maybe like a how-to story pin or my five best um, pins about this or my five best blog posts about this. And then your call to action is not a link to your blog, Unlike regular Pinterest pins where you're trying to get people to go to your blog, 
the goal of a story pin is to get people to follow you. Now, I think this is really smart on Pinterest's part and on our part as content creators, because if you've listened to me, you know that I believe in creating fans, regular customers, people who come back again and again and again and consider you the go-to for a certain area. Story pins give Pinterest just enough of a social element that we can connect with users in a way that they will follow us because they like what we've put out. It doesn't expire, so we don't have to worry about being on a content creation hamster wheel. We can often repurpose things we've already created. Plus in Pinterest, it's super easy to create a story out of just like a couple of photos and then they let you layer text on. It's very, very user-friendly. You can whip out a couple story pins right after this podcast episode in 20 minutes. And then I want you to DM me or tag me on Instagram. Show me your results because Pinterest is really giving some good exposure to story pins right now because it's a new feature and we know that platforms like it when we try a new feature. Go try a couple. What have you got to lose? Repurpose a video, repurpose a little how-to, and your call to action is follow me. So I think you're going to get really excited about the stats that you get from a story pin. But what I want you to really pay attention to is how many followers you get after you post that story pin or those story pins. Does your follower number increase? Because that means that somebody connected with your content enough that they want to follow along and see what you're going to pin next. And that's the ultimate connection, a genuine follow. And that's my opinion on story pins. Great, great advice from whatever BMG gave you that advice. Someone else commented that a big marketing guru told this person that building a passive income stream was the best way to build your business. And I partially agree with that statement. Of course, I think it's great. I always talk about passive income. I want you to put as much of your business on autopilot as you can. I want you to build a business that lets you walk away from it. What I don't want to say and be confusing about is that passive income means that you don't have to work. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I do think that there's a time in your business where you're going to be on and building and really like pedal to the metal doing a lot of work. What I think of when I think of passive income is that you can work on it when you want to and when you don't want to, you don't have to and the sales still roll in. So I saw in a Facebook group today, somebody posted, has anybody ever walked away from their Teachers Pay Teachers store and still made money? And um, she was mentioning like she wanted to go on a vacation or whatever, and she didn't want to work. That's the point of passive income, that you can put it down or put it away or even leave like some tasks to your team or to a VA and that essentially you could take a break and it would continue to run and make sales. I want you to set up your business to be that way, and that's what's called passive income. But oftentimes when people hear passive income, they think it means I don't have to do anything ever, and I'm still gonna make money. And that's just not the case. I would be lying if I told you that. There's still a lot of work involved in passive income, especially in the setup or the building phase, but there's gonna come a point where you, if you build it right, and you set up, Um, your marketing funnels correctly, there's going to be a point where you're like, wow, I really can sit back and I can either work on the parts of the business that I love and not the parts that I hate, or I can 
put it away for a minute and spend more time with my kids or go on vacation or just take a break from it. And it's still going to continue to make money because I've set everything up correctly. So I definitely believe in building passive income streams. I just don't want you to think that that means that they are so easy that you don't have to do anything at all. These are such a great piece of it, pieces of advice to talk over. The next one, this is a great one. Somebody said, from others, not from you, meaning me, that I didn't say this. Um, a big marketing guru told this person to visualize your dreams and it will happen, but they don't give you any real substance behind that. And I love this one because it it is funny. There are a lot of BMGs out there that talk about visualization and that's exactly my opinion that it you absolutely need to have a vision for your business. I believe in vision boards. I believe in writing down your vision. I I believe in having a visionary viewpoint on like where your business could go, the opportunity that's there. I think all of that is super motivating, but nothing's going to happen if you don't take an action, right? It's just like I can visualize, we were talking about the gym earlier, I can visualize myself being healthy and, you know, weight loss and all of that or whatever my goal is at the end of the day to be fit and healthy. But if I keep eating cheeseburgers and fries every night and a pint of ice cream for dessert, like it's not going to happen. I can visualize it all I want, but a visualization isn't a magic wand. I still have to take action. So it helps to have the vision, And then you got to drive it home with the action. You got to have both. You cannot have one without the other. You also can't take action without vision. Because I think when you take action without vision, you just run yourself in circles. You just don't see the end game. And that's where you get distracted. You got to have your eye on the end game and take actionable steps to get there. And listening to this podcast is an action step. So you're already in the right place. Okay, the next piece of advice that a BMG gave to someone was that they should post on Instagram three times a week. Now, just like with the Instagram algorithm that we talked about before, Instagram has never come out and said, hey, you guys, if you post three times a week, you're going to get more traction on Instagram. You're going to get more attention or engagement or whatever it is that you're going for. That's simply not the case. And Cranking out content for the sake of cranking out content is not good. It's just contributing to the noise. We all know Instagram is noisy. There's just a lot going on there. And how many times do you scroll past a post and you're like, ugh, like that wasn't valuable at all. It wasn't, it didn't make me laugh. I didn't learn anything. It didn't make me think. I can tell that person just posted to post. We don't want to contribute to that. Really wait until you have something to post that's going to make people either, you know, this is what we're here for, to educate, to entertain, to inspire. So it's going to do one of those things. And you've really put some time into putting that together for people and then post it. So if you have one really compelling piece of content per week, That's better than three mediocre pieces of content that you slapped up there just to have three posts done. So take your energy and spend it on something that's really going to move people. And then they'll learn to trust that your content is going to be really good and that you're not just cranking it out for the sake of cranking it out. The last piece of advice that you all heard from a big marketing guru or BMG 
is that email marketing is the way to go. And I think you all know that I totally agree with that one. I love email marketing and it's not just because I'm a complete nerd. It's because email is old school in all the best ways. Email is old school in that it doesn't have an algorithm. So we don't have to guess about saves or likes or comments or how many posts we should do a week. We don't have to deal with new features like reels or Pinterest stories and wonder how those work. Um, We don't have new, different, crazy analytics to deal with. Email remains steadfast and the same. (laughs) It's an oldie but a goodie. Um, You also don't have to deal with an algorithm when it comes to landing in somebody's inbox. You don't have to worry about what order your email will show up in. It's going to show up in the order it was received. So uh, your email inbox is in chronological order. As long as your email isn't spammy and you do some work to make sure your emails are getting delivered to the inbox without getting flagged as spam, you're going to land in the inbox. And people are checking their email all day long. People are checking their email in the bathroom. They're checking it first thing when they open their eyes in the morning before they even roll out of bed. And it's a way to really connect with one person, to write a note to one person person, not to many people, but to one person. As if you're writing an email to your mom, that's how you're going to write your emails to your people. An email can be really fun and personal and light and funny. Um, When you write an email, you should be excited to hit send to see the reactions of your people. If you do it right, it can feel that way. I promise. Email can be innovative and fun. So we're making email fun again for all of those reasons. And then when you have something to sell, you have something new to offer, you have a list of people who have already said, hey, I'm interested in hearing more about this, and you can email them. It's like having a list of contacts for your phone. They're yours to keep. Email isn't going anywhere. It's not going to disappear. There's not going to be an email outage. Uh, Your contacts are your contacts. And so that's why I really like to invest my time into email. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's steadfast. And I will always talk about how important email marketing is for your overall marketing strategy. All right. Those are all the pieces of advice from the BMGs. Whether I agree or disagree, I reserve the right to change my mind about any of these as things in marketing change all the time. But I really think that those are my opinions and I'm sticking to them. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you hear any more advice from the BMGs and you're wondering uh, what are my thoughts on it and if it's true or not, send me a DM over on Instagram, Teacher by Nap Time. I would love to chat with you about what you've been hearing and let's make it more simple, more doable, and keep it really applicable for teachers, right? Because the BMGs just don't know what the teaching world is like. Thanks for being here. I'll see you in the next episode. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a creative educator who is wanting to start their business online. Maybe you have started your business, but you can't gain any traction because as soon as you take one step forward, there are a million more things you're supposed to be doing like blogging or podcasting, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Maybe you've heard all the marketing podcasts, but there's so much conflicting information. You just want the roadmap to success. I know sometimes it feels like the big name marketing experts don't understand our lives as teachers. You might be worried you're going to spend all your time and money on creating 
creating your online business or maybe you already have spent tons of time and money and no one is going to show up to buy the thing you have to offer and you're worried about how you're going to stand out among the rest. If you don't want a degree in marketing, but you want to inspire other teachers and you want to stand out among the rest and create a voice and share your thoughts and ideas and bring in some money, but it all feels a little overwhelming, I have good news for you. You are exactly where you need to be. You have everything you need to share your passion and to make some serious cash in the process. I want to introduce my signature training for creative teachers like you, Teacher Hustle University, and you can get your hands on my step-by-step guide to designing an online business with a strategic, purposeful marketing plan. The Teacher Hustle University framework is your chance to build that solid foundation in marketing for your online business, to make a difference in classrooms around the world, to generate a steady monthly income, and to put it all on autopilot so you can enjoy life's moments. I teach you all of the pieces of the framework for Teacher Hustle University inside my free masterclass, which you can find at alyssamcdonald.com slash masterclass. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Hustle podcast. I love hearing from you. So if you loved this episode, please consider leaving a review. You can also join our Facebook group, Teacher Hustle Podcast, to chat about all things business, mindset, and marketing. I also love to chat in the Instagram DMs, so send me a DM or tag me in your post. My name is Teacher by Naptime over there. I'll see you in the next episode.